Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to New Creation Fellowship. And we also want to welcome especially those of you who may be visiting us for the first time at the invitation of a friend, coworker, or sibling. If this is your first Sunday with us and even a first Sunday at church, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so honored to have you as our guest, and we hope our time together will not only be educational, but perhaps even edifying as well as an opportunity to experience who this God that we Christians adore and center our lives around. So without further ado, would you mind bowing your heads and asking for the Lord to bless our time together? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us as you promised you said you would in your word. Lord, there is something profound. There is something supernatural. There is something cosmic that happens when the saints gather around so that the word could be preached, so that the word could fall on the soil of our hearts and bear forth good fruit that is for the good of this world. Father, we have journeyed in this life for the past six days where we have been confronted with our own sins as well as with the sins of others. We have been aware of how broken and, and, and distorted this world is. And now, Lord, we ask, after such a disorienting trek in the world, that you would once again realign our hearts in the right direction and that our minds would follow so that we would be uh, full of integrity, that we would be whole, and that we would therefore be committed in living for you and therefore being a source of tremendous blessing to our families, to our fam uh, friends and coworkers, and to the city that we call home. Oh God, would you now bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. One of the things that we all know, especially if you grew up in this city, is that anything that has value will have a counterfeit. Again, anything that has value will have a counterfeit. We know this probably more than anyone in this particular city. But just in case you're not, some common and obvious examples, just to name a few. Money is very valuable in our society, and hence you have counterfeit money, right? Expensive art, like the Mona Lisa, very, very valuable in our society, which is why you'll see counterfeit copies of it in the hallways of the rich trying to fool their rich friends. Rolex watches, Louis Vuitton purses, yes, all the things that we find valuable in this life that is recognized as valuable will have a counterfeit. And this is also true when it comes to obedient living obedient living just in case you're not aware christian the god of the universe great takes great excuse me let's back it up the god of the universe excuse me takes great delight and he finds great value in the life that is filled with obedience god takes great prize he takes great value when he sees someone made in his image obeying him which is why you see in the bible verses like second chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 which reads as follows for the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him God takes great delight and he values and he sees as priceless an obedient life, which is why he searches after it, kind of like the way a pirate would voraciously search after priceless treasure, which also means, therefore, that there is the kind of obedient life that God finds absolutely worthless. Why? Because just like those fake Rolexes that you can find on Canal Street, fake obedience is counterfeit obedience. They're utterly worthless to him. 
You see, the Bible teaches us that there is a right way to obey God and there is a wrong way to obey God. And if you ever read through the Gospels, one of the things that you easily pick up is how Jesus cannot stand more than anything, how he hates with full passion a person claiming to be obedient, trying to be obedient when in fact they are not obedient at all. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the religious hypocrites that he constantly criticized his days, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the high council. God does not love fake obedience. He does love genuine obedience. And as followers of Jesus, where we make it our life ambition to be pleasing to God, and of course the primary way that we please God is by obeying him, we ask ourselves the question, how do we know? That we are offering genuine obedience to the Lord that is favorable, delightful, that is priceless in his eyes. Or that we're offering the kind of obedience that's utterly worthless that he just says is junk. Well, to help us today in that endeavor, the Apostle Peter is going to teach us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, the elements of genuine obedience, the core elements of what makes up genuine obedience in the hopes that as we come to understand it, we could therefore prevent ourselves from giving to the Lord obedience that is no obedience at all, but instead nothing but spiritual junk. And so with that in mind, three things Peter is going to teach us today in our passage about the elements of genuine obedience. And here they are. Number one, first, genuine obedience requires right thinking. Genuine obedience requires right thinking. Number two, genuine obedience requires the right motive. And then finally, genuine obedience is a reaction to the right cause. So genuine obedience requires right thinking, the right motive, and it must always be a response to the right cause. And so, without further ado, let's jump right in. First, genuine obedience requires right thinking. You know, one of the things that I really love about being a young father of four also happens to be what I really hate about being a father of young four. You see, all four of my children, Kara, Judah, Leah, and Selah, I think that's all their names, right? They go to bed very early, around 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I love it because that means I have the rest of the evening to myself with my wife or with some of you guys who come over for dinner. I love it. And yet at the same time, because they go to bed so early, I hate it in the fact that as a result of that early bedtime, they get up very, very early. I hate when they get up right at my bedside at 5 o'clock to 5.30 in the morning. I would literally wake up, and my son would just look at me, waiting for me to wake up. Hi, Daddy. That's exactly what he does every morning. And I hate it. It is so, so painful. And yet I do believe that God in his sovereign wisdom wanted it this way because he wanted to draw my attention to something that probably you are aware of as well. You see, early in the morning at that ungodly hour on television are a bunch of ungodly TV preachers. And what they say and what they do is so horrific because what they're teaching is false teaching. And because I'm being exposed to this kind of false teaching, I'm safe to assume that you are being exposed to this kind of false teaching as well. And one particular false teaching that is very prevalent amongst these very TV preachers is this notion that if you obey God, that if you choose to live a life of obedience to God, then God will bless you and reward you in the words of one false teacher, your best life now. Your best life now. And I really have a problem in that phrase, that last word, that word now. You see, there are some Christians out there who believe that if you live a life of obedience, that God will then reward you with various blessings of source, whether it's material blessings like a big bank account, a big house, a big car, a big yard, or bless you with relationships like a great marriage, a healthy family, 
right? Or physical blessings like wonderful health or miraculous healings, right? In other words, so many Christians today believe that if they obey God, God will be obligated to give them a comfortable, prosperous, abundant life. But let's have our passage up for just a moment and consider what Peter says in the first two verses, starting in verse 1, we read as follows. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now Peter makes it abundantly clear. If you plan to live an obedient life, a genuine obedient life to God, then you better think correctly about having the right assumption. Peter wants to make sure that if you want to genuinely be pleasing to God by offering genuine obedience, you must think correctly by having the right assumption. But what assumption is that? Well, he tells us in verse 1, listen again to what he says. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, one of the ways that you know that you're offering genuine obedience to the Lord is that you are willing to suffer for it. Again, one of the ways that you know that you're offering genuine obedience to the Lord is that you have prepared for yourself with the assumption that I am getting ready to suffer because of it. Because Peter is telling us right now that genuine obedience in most cases does not result in your best life now. In fact, quite the opposite. In most cases, genuine obedience will result sometimes in your worst life now. And of course, this is something that all of you know from your own experiences or from what you witness from the experiences of others. I know I have. You know, my previous church, there's a wonderful dear lady by the name of Judy. She's a librarian who works at the research library at the University of Washington in Seattle. And for years, she wanted to have a husband, a godly woman who any man would be crazy lucky to have as a spouse and yet for years and years of praying and fasting and waiting she's never had a husband she's never been married she's never had intimacy she's not the 40 year old virgin she is literally the 50 year old virgin now she's probably the 60 year old virgin and yet through it all she has maintained her sexual purity she has maintained her faithful devotion to god what is that That's a saint who recognized the right assumption when it comes to genuine obedience. You have to be willing to suffer for it. Hear me when I say this. We do not live in a world that will reward you for living an obedient life to God because we live in a world filled with people, systems, and institutions who are hostile to God, that are hostile to God, and therefore will be hostile to you as you attempt to live a life of pleasing obedience, genuine obedience to the God that it hates. This is something we need to understand. This is why Peter says what he does in verse 1. Listen again to what he says. Arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. You see that phrase, arm yourselves? That's the kind of phrase that a military general would tell his soldiers right as he's getting ready to lead him into battle. Peter wants us to understand that we need to mentally arm ourselves with the mindset that if you want to live a life of genuine obedience to God that is pleasing to him, you need to have the assumption you need to expect that you are going to suffer because of that obedience. Just like Jesus was very much assuming and very much expecting to suffer when he lived his obedient life as he walked on this earth. Now, some of you in here are hearing all this and you're thinking to yourself, if what Pastor John is saying is true, that genuine obedience will inevitably lead to suffering, why in the world would anyone in their right mind choose to obey God, right? Right? Of course, you'll never say that to my face, but of course, that is what you're thinking. 
Is obedient life, which will lead to suffering, really something worth doing when I want to just be comfortable and I want to be at ease? Even if it's at the cost of disobeying God, uh, how do I reconcile this? You know, when I think about that question, it kind of reminds me of another question I sometimes get from my single friends who are still single to this day. Yes, I do have some peers in my life who are still single. They're not married and they don't have kids. And every now and then one of them will say, you know, John, I don't get you, man. Four kids? Four kids? What are you trying to do? Raise a farm? What are you doing here? Why are you willing to go through all that suffering? Why are you willing to endure those 5 a.m. wake-up calls and, and, and changing dirty diapers and, and not having a social life, being stuck at home, not even to take your wife out to dinner or go to the theater or do any of that? You're just stuck because you have kids. And, of course, the way they speak and the tone that they do is conveying to me that they are pitying me, that they feel sorry for me as if to say that the sufferings of a father are not worth going through and of course when i make that mental connection that's when i feel sorry for them because by them thinking that way that tells me something about them which is what it tells me that these dear friends of mine are a bunch of cowards cowards what is a coward here's a definition a person who lacks courage in facing danger difficulty opposition and pain. Listen, anything that is worth praising, anything that is worth honor and nobility and, and dignity will require suffering. All the wonderful things in life that we will celebrate, that we will venerate and honor will require suffering. Do you think those Olympians who won those gold medals a couple of weeks ago, that they just did that without any sort of suffering whatsoever? Do you think those of you who have PhDs behind your name, you just got that just by doing nothing? You think those of you with chiseled bodies like myself, you know, we got this amazing art on us because we didn't suffer? I'm, I'm just joking, by the way, about myself, right? Whether you're talking about a PhD, an Olympic gold medal, a chiseled body, all of that requires a willingness to suffer. And that is also true when it comes to living an obedient life. Obedience requires a willingness to suffer. That is the first element that you must understand. If you want to offer genuine obedience to God, that mindset, that assumption, that kind of thinking has to be in your mindset so that you'll be ready to take the next step of the element of genuine obedience. And to explain, let me go to my next point. Genuine obedience requires the right motive. Read again with me verse 2, but this time we're going to read verse 3 and 4, and it says as follows. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions before the will of God. For the time that is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of the and they malign you. Now, here in these verses, Peter goes into pretty long detail of the kind of disobedient behaviors of those who choose not to live for the Lord. He lists out a variable list of sinful, disobedient behaviors that those who don't choose to follow God live out all the time. But if you look more carefully, Peter is doing much more than that because he's actually comparing and contrasting the motives between a person who chooses to obey God and a person who doesn't choose to obey God. Let me show you what I mean. If you take a consideration of the list of behaviors of those who choose to disobey God, you'll notice that they all have something in common. You know what that is? 
sensuality. All of these behaviors, right, orgies, drunkenness, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, these are all exhibitions of sensual living. In fact, Peter himself calls it that. He says living in sensuality. Now, what that tells us is that when you're in a disobedient mindset, the modus operandi, the MO that you live off on is what? If it feels good, I'm going to do it, right? You go by your senses, hence sensuality. The way that people who choose not to live for the Lord lives by is a motivation of what feels good, what feels right, what feels amazing, what feels sensual. It's all about feelings. But now consider how he describes the motivation of those who choose to obey God in the middle of verse 2. He says, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for what? The will of God. The will of God. It's so interesting. It takes Peter about three verses to describe the mindset, the motivations of those who are living in disobedience, but it only takes less than a sentence for him to describe those who choose to live a life of obedience to God. Why? Because Peter is simply trying to say something very profound and yet simple at the same time, namely, the motivation that we should have in terms of why we obey God is simple. It's because we just want to do the will of God. The only motive... As far as God is concerned, when it comes to the kinds of obedience that he values, is simply the kind of obedience that is motivated simply by wanting to do God's will. Nothing less, nothing more. Why is this so important to recognize? It's important because there are some people within the church who have this belief that the only way God will accept your obedience as genuine is if you feel like obeying God, right? People will say, you know, I would obey God, but I don't want to be a hypocrite because deep down I don't want to obey, right? And I don't want to kind of have this two-faced with God. So you know what? I'm going to refrain from the do not commit adultery kind of law, right? You know, I know I shouldn't steal, but I feel like stealing. So maybe until I'm ready to really obey God, I'm just going to go ahead and take what is not mine. That's a ridiculous illustration, but you get the point. We live in such an age where being authentic, being genuine is such a high core value in our culture today. And we impose it onto our own Christian ethics. And we think that our obedience to God is not acceptable. It's not genuine until we feel like obeying God. We need to really feel like we want to obey God. We need to have a heart to obey God in order to truly obey him. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. It does not understand that as far as the Bible is concerned, the human heart is corrupt. The human heart, our emotions, our rationality, our our instincts, all of it has become corrupt. And therefore, they're not an accurate barometer of what's genuine or authentic. Haven't you had situations where you felt something was right? And as you acted on it, you were absolutely wrong? Probably more than not, right? Many of us are guided by our instincts, our gut feeling, our feelings, and we think this is the pathway of determining what is good for me, what is right for me, what should be the right thing to do, and we end up being wrong all the time. What's the point? My point is this. If you wait until you feel like obeying God, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. If the only time you decide to start living for the Lord and obey him is when you want to start obeying him, that time is never going to happen. Look again at how he describes our sinful desires in verse 4. How does he describe it? He calls it what? A flood of debauchery, 
flood of debauchery. Why does Peter refer to our sinful desires as a flood? This imagery of this mass, deep water that you cannot reach the depths to, the bottoms to, is just limitless. You'll never hit the point of rock bottom. Because Peter is trying to say, our sinful desires are so vast, so big, for you to think that you're going to wait until you can survey all of that and get to the point where, you know what, I've had enough, I had my fill, I'm not ready to obey God. You are absolutely naive and you're foolish. You will never get to a point where after living a life of sinfulness that you think, I'm just going to have my fill and then when I'm a little bit older, when I have a little bit more responsibilities, then I'll, you know, wake up, then I'll chung ching chow, then I'll just kind of get my act together. But for now, I'm just having fun. I'm sorry, it's still going to feel fun from when you're 40 than you are as you're still 20. The flood of debauchery, the sinful heart is limitless in its desires. The only way you will be able to make a click and offer a genuine obedience to God is not waiting until you're finally satiated from wanting to sin. It's simply when you choose to say, I am going to live for the will of God. I have a friend who back in college you know, struggled with an eating disorder. And one of the things that she shared with me is that no matter how much she tried to overcome, no matter how much she did to try and keep herself accountable, pray, journal, ask other people to keep her accountable, try to scare herself with all the various physical harm she could do to her body, nothing seemed to work. No matter how much she tried to please God in this area of her life, nothing seemed to have been working. And then one day as she was reflecting and journaling and praying through it, she just dawned. It dawned on her. You know, what I am doing is not pleasing to God. It's out of accord to his will. See, as soon as she made that realization, it just clicked. And ever since then, hasn't been a real problem, right? Not until she felt like stopped doing it because clearly it was still there. But it came to a point where she said, I want to do what is pleasing to God. In spite of how I feel about this, in spite of me wanting to keep doing this, I will not simply because it is out of accord to the will of God. Christian, do you understand that? Do you understand that you cannot wait until this heart of yours inside says, I've had enough sin. I'm now ready to live for God. It's not going to happen. It's until you come to the conviction that you're called to live for the Lord by living in accordance to his will, that is when you offer the kind of obedience that is pleasing and genuine to the Lord. And once you understand that, then you can come to the final element of genuine obedience. And this leads me to my final point. Genuine obedience is a reaction to the right cause. We all know what a reaction is, right? It's the thing that we do in response to something else, right? It's a reaction that we have to a specific cause. And Peter in verse 6 tells us there is a specific cause that as Christians should result in our obedience that it ends up becoming genuine. But what is that specific cause? Well, look at verse 6 so we can find out. He says this, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, I really don't like how the ESV has translated it here. I actually like how the New Living Translation puts it, because it clarifies what Peter is saying. So if we could have it up there, please. This is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Here, Peter makes it clear. 
the only way you can offer genuine obedience, real obedience that is pleasing to God, that gives him great delight, that he finds priceless and valuable, is that it must always be and exclusively be a reaction to the gospel. Again, genuine obedience to God is only pleasing to the Lord, and it's only genuine, when it's a reaction to the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that says God forgives you, God loves you, God accepts you, and therefore God gives you eternal life to be with him forever because of Jesus' perfect, genuine obedience on your behalf. One more time. The gospel is the good news that says God forgives you, he loves you, he accepts you, and therefore gives you eternal life to be with him forever because of Jesus' perfect, genuine obedience. What does that mean practically? It means this, practically. That the reason why you obey the Lord is not how great your life is, but all only because of how terrible Jesus' life was. That is the cause. That is the thing that you're reacting to. Let me say that one more time because that's very hard to grasp when you first hear it. What Peter is saying here is that the only thing that you should respond to that would compel you to want to obey is not because your life is going great, but because Jesus' life was absolutely terrible. So many of us find it easy to obey God when life is going great. Case in point, isn't it easier to come to church when things are going well, right? Isn't it harder to come to church when life is not going well, right? It's so easy when things are going well that you're going to sing praises to God, that you're going to encourage people and sing Christian platitudes and say Christian platitudes to people, aren't you? But when life is not good and you are just miserable and you feel life is just terrible, it is going to be very hard it's going to be downright, maybe even impossible to want to obey God. But if you base your obedience to God, not in response to how great your life is, but how terrible Jesus's life was, that will lead you to genuine obedience. Why? The Bible tells us that the kind of life that Jesus lived and the kind of suffering that he had to endure and the kind of death that he had to suffer is far worse than any human suffering than any other tragedy, than any other death. That's what scripture teaches us. Jesus' bad day is worse than any bad day you or any other human being will ever have. And when you remember that, and you realize that the reason why you want to obey is in reaction, in response to that, there you will secure yourself in making sure that your obedience will always be given to God. And it will be given freely, right? Because here's the thing. If you base your obedience to God on how great your life is, and then life isn't that great, right? What justification do you have anymore to keep obeying? You don't. But if you base your justification obeying God based on how much Jesus' life was much worse than yours, you will feel totally unjustified in disobeying the Lord. Do you see? When you understand that obedience is always a response to what the gospel teaches us, that it's because Jesus had a terrible day that you are therefore able to obey faithfully, that secures your obedience to where it's always able and willing to give praise to God in the form of you always living under his law, wanting to live in obedience to his law. But, of course, that's not it. 
That's not all, excuse me. Because one of the things that the gospel also teaches us is that this life is not all there is, right? The whole point of Jesus' suffering on the cross was so that you could have forgiveness, but so that you could have eternal life. The whole promise of Jesus' death on the cross is so that you will not end in death, but that you will end up in paradise, right? That you will end up in eternity in bliss and joy, that you will end up in his presence. So here's my question. What is the basis of your obedience to God? When you think about your past and you see all the hardships there, right? Are you remembering of what Jesus has done for you to compel you to stay faithful? When you look at your present life right now, right? And things are not going well. Do you think back to what Jesus had to endure and suffer for you to stay faithful here and now? When you think about your future, and you don't see your best life now coming your way, do you always go back to what Jesus had to suffer and endure on the cross for you so that you can maintain your obedience to him? An obedient life is valuable in the eyes of God, and an obedient life is a source of blessing to the world around us. Who cares what you feel like? Who cares if your life is not going great now? Who cares if maybe your best life now won't come before your death? Jesus' death on the cross has secured that the greatest life that you will ever have has been secured because of what he's done on the cross. So here's the question. Do you believe that and do you live it out? At this time, I want you to think about some ways of practically applying today's message because I do feel that this kind of thinking and this kind of living out is so lacking in our society today amongst Christians. And so to help you to facilitate that, I want you to think about some next steps as we move forward into this idea. And first of all, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and if today's message maybe even compelled you to consider the claims of Jesus to where you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, take this time now. Acknowledge Jesus as your creator, as the one whom you have been created for, and submit your life to him by recognizing your need for his work on the cross to cover over your sins, and that you're ready to make him the Lord of your life. And then afterwards, please come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor James. We would love to help you in your next steps in response to that. Number two, take some time this week and read over the following statements on your way to work or school. And maybe you can even write this down for those of you who have a pen. Obedience can result in more suffering, not less. Obedience doesn't require me to feel like it to be genuine. And obedience is only genuine when it's response to what Jesus will suffer for me to the point of dying a humiliating death on the cross for my sins. I think it's so vital to constantly be reminded of these truths. Maybe even while you're showering or brushing your teeth, you can just have it up on the post-it mirror and you just think and think and think. Think about the fact that Jesus was willing to obey God knowing that he would have to suffer for it. Think about the fact that Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross, but he did it anyway for you. Yeah, did you know that? Jesus didn't feel like obeying the Father. Just think about his prayer in Gethsemane the night that he was betrayed. What did he kept saying? If it's possible, Lord, take this cup away from me. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't feel like it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe you can ask for the Lord to help you grow in not depending so much on how you feel, but depending more on what God's will is for your life, especially in the area of your obedience to him. Finally, number three, pray for a fellow Christian in your life who you know may be struggling. They may be struggling in an area of life. They might not call it a struggle, but they're basically living in sin. And you know that they're living in sin. 
Would you take some time praying for them and maybe even taking some of the knowledge that you got from today's message and seeing how you can share this with them. Encourage them with it. Don't beat them down with it. But maybe you can help them to see some of the misconceptions or the wrong expectations that they may be carrying that's inhibiting them from living a life of obedience that God takes great delight in. And then keep praying for them and maybe even ask your Oikos group members to pray for this person. Let's close our eyes and pray for the Lord's blessing. Father, we ask that you would help us to see that obedient living is so precious in your sight. Father, so many of us have uh, taken advantage of your grace and we've kind of watered down the need to obey you. But Lord, if the gospel is to change us, Lord, it is especially to change us in our desire to please you, in our desire to give you what is valuable in your eyes. And so, Lord, we pray that we want to be valuable in your eyes, not because we ourselves are valuable, but because Jesus has made it possible for us by the power of your spirit and by the sanctifying of your word to make us more like him, to be obedient like him, to be willing to suffer as a result of obedience, to be willing to go through in obedience even when we don't feel like it. Father, we've been too governed by our senses for too long. We've been governed by what we feel like doing and not what we should be doing in light of what your will says. Oh God, would you help us to not be that way anymore, but instead to be a people who are driven by a commitment of wanting to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and thereby being a blessing to the world that we live in. We ask that you hear us now, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.